Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to theamishop.com. That's the A-M-A-I-Shop.com for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. Welcome back. Season 3 of Caribbean Bird Stories is here. And yes, you're right. We have a new soundtrack this season. I'm so grateful and honored to feature a Caribbean icon and jazz pioneer, the late Raphael, better known as Raph Robertson's Pan Explosion. And that's just the beginning. This season is chock full of resources, real stories of joy, grief and acceptance, sprinkled with a surprise here and there. So remember to subscribe to Caribbean Boot Stories wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode with new episodes being released every Tuesday. Do enjoy. Growing up in the Caribbean, I never gave much thought to what raising a child would look like outside of the region. Now I've been thrust into that very situation, sometimes happily and other times wondering if I'm making a mess of things. Well, on today's episode of Caribbean Bird Stories, I've decided to compare notes with other Caribbean women, specifically three Trimbegonians, on how they are raising their children outside of the Caribbean, having been raised within the region. First up is Nyat Lee, a doctoral candidate at the University of Maryland, researching rhetorics of race. Her work considers the impact of commercial genetic testing on maintenance of white supremacy in multiple global contexts. As an instructor, Naya teaches public speaking and the rhetoric of Black America to undergraduates in the UMD communication department. Before returning to academia in 2015, Naya spent 15 years working as a print and television journalist, advertising strategist and copywriter, speechwriter and corporate communication specialist in Trinidad and Tobago. Next, we have Kyola Toussaint. Kyola works in risk management at a federal financial regulatory agency. We have to be hush-hush about this one. (laughs) Uh, She's an amazing mother of a seven-year-old boy and a lover of travel, food, and fun experiences. She sometimes documents her challenges and wins via their family IG, at Bobbins and a Backpack. It's a mouthful, but I'll put it in the show notes so you can all check it out. And her blog, Walking Through the Fog. The latter talks about her quest to parent by faith and all the things she's learning along the way. Last but certainly not least is Daniela Dune-Joseph, a cognitive behavior therapist in Bedfordshire, UK. And I'm so excited. She's the first person from the UK that I've interviewed on this podcast. So welcome, Daniela. She is the mother of two beautiful young ladies, a four-year-old and soon-to-be six-year-old. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Okay, so I know that this chat, I, I did something similar on season two where we had this fireside chat, and I just really enjoyed having the input from just not just one guest, but multiple guests. So I thought for season three, I wanted to approach it again, and, but with a different spin. So last time it was women who didn't want to have children necessarily. But this time I'm like, okay, let's look at women. We know the Caribbean diaspora is huge, right? And a lot of us are raising children outside of the region. So it poses many challenges and also opportunities. 
Um, so I really just wanted to hear from each one of you how you came to be even living outside of the Caribbean. So let's go with Nayat first. Nayat, tell us, how did you come to be living outside of the Caribbean? Right. So as my bio says, I, you know, left to go to school, left to go back to school after working in COM for a really long time. I sort of realized that there were gaps in my theoretical understanding, the way I conceptualized communications. And so I thought that the best thing to do would be to get a master's degree. Uh-huh. So I left after going to UE, like so many others, I went to Villanova University. And then after my time at Villanova, I realized that there was potential for a PhD in my topic, which was, you know, pretty sexy in that moment. <laughs> and um, so I, you know, headed over to UMD to start that. Of course, a PhD is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Five years later, um, this is my fifth year, five years later, I'm just wrapping up my dissertation. But in the meantime, you know, I, I just turned 40 in November. I had to right. do things, you see, um, mm-hmm. going in and leaving. Like I had to do some things. And one of them was, you know, having a child. And so um, I never thought I would live here. I don't have a driver's license because oh I never thought I would live here. Mm. Right. And now I have to get one. Um, there's some things for, for a long time. I had no pictures on my walls. You know, I was just trying to go through my academic training and then go back home. But then right. you have a baby, you find a partner and you begin to live life. You begin to have insurance. You begin to <laughs> have debt, you know, and you think, oh, wow. I am I'm now a resident of the United States. I, I'm a tax resident. I pay tax like Americans now. I can file yeah. online, like unlike international students who have to file on paper, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I found myself here. I don't know what happens next, but I do know that at least the first three years of my son's life will be as an American. Right. And just tell me where, for our listeners, where you are right now. Right. So I'm in, in Maryland. I'm not far from um, the university. I've, I've lived in College Park, Maryland, since I moved here. I was oh, very right. lucky in that I was able to, um, to live seven minutes from the building where I teach and go to school and, and, went and did classes. And yeah. so as a pregnant person, I was able to walk to class, like in, oh, in the yeah. early fall, comfortably. Yeah. You know, not yeah. have to commute and that type of thing. So that, that's where we are now. And right. um, yeah. And you have one boy. I have one boy. His name is Buria. Uh, mm-hmm. Buria means storm. His dad is Bulgarian. And so um, he's he also teaches. Um, he's at, He was at UMD when I met him. And um, so my son is Bulgarian and English speaking as much as he speaks. And so... Right. We gave him a Bulgarian name to sort of honor mm-hmm. that tradition. And then we gave him my dad's name to honor my side. And so, yeah, okay. it's, it's, he's a nice little blend of, yes. of the choices that I've made. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. I am going to switch it up and let's go to Daniela. I did an undergraduate psych in Barbados. So then you wanted to do psychotherapy. This wasn't entirely sure of the modality. Um, right. I did, a, did an internship in the States and I found out about cognitive behavior therapy. And I thought to myself, okay, that's exactly what I want to do. So I went online um, and they 
they offered in the UK are two minimum masters. It just means that you don't have to do your full PhD to, to be able nice. to practice. So I was like, amazing, one year and I, I get to, to do what I, wa- I really want to do. So mm-hmm. um, I moved up in 2010 um, okay. with my now husband. We've, we've been together since we met in UB in Barbados. So very, very long time. Long time, so, yeah. I want to do more long distance because we did long distance as in the States. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, no problem. So we came up and I, I literally had no intention of staying here. It was mm-hmm. literally going to be three years, as in do my master's for one year and get some some experience. Um, because it's really important to me that if I'm doing something, I'm doing it authentically and it's to the best of my ability. And I'm still here. I love what I do. Um, and mm-hmm. he just has the perfect opportunities to grow and develop as a therapist. Um, and I work with NHS for a little while, which is our kind of our national health service. Um, and I work in a private company doing CBT still, which I absolutely love. Um, and I, I genuinely never thought I would be so far from home raising. Right. That is the honest truth. I, I always knew I wanted to have kids, um, but I never once ever thought that it would be how many miles away from from what I still call home yeah yeah but and is your your husband also from Trinidad no he's from St Vincent so he um was in his final year of uni when I was in my first year um okay yeah okay nice and so let's go to Miss Kyola because yeah those glasses Kyola (laughs) <laughs> Briefly tell us how you came to be living outside of the Caribbean. Oh, that is a long, much longer story than each of you. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> very colorful story. Okay. Um, so my when I first left Trinidad and Tobago, I moved to the Midwest, which surprisingly is where I live now. Mm-hmm. And um, I had several detours to the life that I'm leading right now. So I went to school in the Midwest. I came out for school. And then after that, I did a lot of things in between. I took a break from school. I worked in the film industry in Trinidad and Tobago for a couple of years. I had a small business. I did makeup. I did wardrobe on some filming. I just did anything that I my heart desired. Having yeah. children was never part of the equation. And mm-hmm. when you have children, um, it forces you to be able to make different decisions about what supports you because no child, you know, no strings or anything. So I was able to kind of float around and do things that I liked because I've never really honestly had a passion for anything but traveling and just making enough money so that I can travel. Travel. So um, years ago, because I have a seven-year-old, when I had my son, I chose to go back to school and complete my degree. So I did a business degree at New Jersey City University, graduated with honors, did a lot of hard work raising Mm -hmm. my son because I am a single parent. And um, when I was finished with school, I got recruited by a federal agency to work in a bank examination role, which is the regulatory agency I work with now. Uh, So once my son was about two and a half, we started traveling full time for this agency. And um, in that role provided oversight on site to financial institutions to make sure that they were in compliance and not practicing risky financial practices and decisions with their money, which is our money, consumers' money. So we did that for about three years and we spent pretty much, I wanna say three weeks a month on the road um, until I knew my son needed to start school. 
um, in mm -hmm. kindergarten. And so I looked for an opportunity where I could come off the road and not do that kind of job because it was just so stressful and it affected the way that I was going to be able to parent him and support mm -hmm. him while he was going into school. So I got into a position, it's an HR function in the agency, same division of risk management in the same federal mm -hmm. agency, but just on an HR side. So I'm no longer traveling. And to get that position, I had to relocate back to the Midwest and I'm now in the state of Missouri. So it's a little more sedate. Um, it's very, very different. We're not spending six hours on the road each way, traveling Mondays and Fridays or flying here or there or staying in hotels for six or seven weeks at a time while I worked. And um, of course, it was very complex in terms of finding childcare for him on the road all the time because it was just him and I. So mm -hmm. we grew a lot. Um, we yes. grew a lot together. And um, I'm very grateful that we have landed where we've landed now in Missouri, where I can take him to school every day. And I have a position that allows me to have something that is um, in one place. So I don't mm -hmm. have to travel as much as we used to. And um, that's why. That's why I'm here now in Missouri. So. Okay, nice. Well, thank you, ladies. That's just a comprehensive introduction to everybody. I love it. And I mean, I just love the vast, like the differences amongst all of you in terms of the reasons for why you're there, um, the reason why you're staying. I think a lot of people are going to resonate with, you know, the different reasons. So I like that. Um, in terms of parenting now, so you have different ages. Nia, you have a two-year-old, um, Daniela, four and six, Kyola, seven. So different stages of development. And we know that when children are between, like before puberty, they change literally every year in terms of what they're able to do, their level of independence, um, how much they listen or don't listen. So, I mean, your approach has to match basically, you know, their age. So what is your parenting style like? I'm just going to call on anybody, but what's your parenting style? Would you say you're more Caribbean? So, you know, children should be seen and not heard. Or is it more of, you know, all-inclusive? Tell me about your style. Anybody, actually. Not I'll go. <laughs> so this is something I struggle with, to be very, very honest. Um, there are a lot of things that I practice here that I know I would not practice at home. And I think that is in part because there's a lot of influence um, outside of the home community is not the same, right? I mean, we have a fantastic babysitter who's from Jamaica. Our babysitter okay. before that was from Grenada, right? Oh, and nice. so we we were very fortunate to have Caribbean people around us. But typically, our neighbors, uh, our colleagues are American. Their children are American. And so the, that culture is pervasive, right? It will affect what my son says. He also has an older sister. His dad was married before we met. And so she's a huge influence on his behavior. And some things, as we know, cannot stand, right? <laughs> they just can't. Stand. And it's difficult to not make him feel like you're punish him, punishing him, mm -hmm. right? for being what he sees everybody else be. And right. so two ways in which this is a big deal for me, first one is diet, right? Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, and my memories of childhood are very scattered, right? I'm very vague. But right. I do remember that when you came home from school, you might have got a little snack. But then at dinner time, around seven, when the news was going on, going you had yeah. something to eat. And you yeah. ate what they cooked. That was yes. it, right? If it was corned beef and rice, it was corned beef and rice. If it was Kalu, it was Kalu, you do eat it, you do eat it, right? Correct. You didn't have options. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is what do you want for dinner? Let mommy make you what you want for dinner. And so from very early on, I got sucked into that. And mm-hmm. now we have mac and cheese. And it hurts me. It hurts me to feed my child Velvita. Okay? <laughs> because I know that there is ground provision in the world. I know that there's Kalaloo in the world. I know that there's you know things to be had that are significantly more nutritious and that he would be used to if he was at home, but he's right. not. And so, you know, every now and then I'll try to slide something in, slip something in, you know, mm. fry a piece of fish, break it up and, and see if he'll take it. But mm-hmm. as a two-year-old, and we know that they can be very, very picky at that age, his diet, I think, is the best example of the struggle between mm-hmm. Do I raise my child as a Caribbean parent and do I mm-hmm. raise my child as an American, like an American child? Mm-hmm. The other thing is licks. Hmm. So I, I, my mind has changed a lot about licks since I had a child. Right? It's, a, it's a little baby when you, when you first get the child. It's yeah. a little baby. Yeah. You just want to protect, you just want to love, you just want to hug up, right? But my son is defiant. Mm-hmm. So, so one day I pinched him. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days later, I said, not to do anything. He goes, well, pinch me. Right. Ooh. And yeah, so he's very defiant. And it's something I want to nurture and direct because I think everybody needs a little fire in them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it'd be wonderful for him to have. But to draw the line, like what is the line of punishment? His father is not intellects at all. He thinks it's barbaric. All my relatives who are older than me who beat me senseless, now all of a sudden, looks as bad how you beat the child. I don't particularly want to to spank, but I I don't have any tools, right? Mm-hmm. Except these long conversations that American parents have. You know, how do you feel? And and really, what I want to do is is ring your ears and hit you and sit down in the bedroom and think right. about what you've done. And so mm-hmm. it's it's not one or the other, but it's a constant negotiation of how much comes from home, yeah. How much from here which is better what can he take what can I take mm-hmm. you know and, and the people around us yes and I think I mean you brought up so many points there that I can relate to right that spanking thing is a huge one and I mean we can talk about it a little bit later in terms of the tools some of the tools that I've found that have been a bit helpful but you know it's it's a challenge Daniela do you have anything to add to that conversation yeah, I mean, it's, it is tricky. It is so tricky. I think that, I mean, you know, the eldest one is almost six and, you know, I didn't know how how to tell to myself, what do I do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've tried like everything and tried to figure out what works. You know, we tried timeouts, but I feel like that's really isolating, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially when they're very little. It's, it's hard to to help them to understand the impact of their of their behavior. I think we kind of have this thing, my husband and I were like, okay, when you're in the house, it's Susie Caribbean. <laughs> like no outside is yes. but inside yeah. is the Caribbean. So there are things like, you know, you, you know, uh, he talks about how some things don't fly, some things just don't fly in my house, like the talking back. Mm-hmm. And call people by their first name. I'm not done with that, right? So right. honestly, yeah. like I listen, my friends' kids call me Daniela. I don't I don't like it um mm-hmm. at all. Um mm-hmm. I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. No, we didn't um, grow so up together. Yes. It is it, it really bothers me. Um but I make my children call my my friends, auntie or uncle, 
I think it's just more respectful. They're not your friends. You need to be respectful. So that they're the things like that that I've instilled in them. They're like, but they're not my real ones. I'm like, doesn't matter. You know, like they're all family friends, you know, exactly. And I think, you know, even though I'm a therapist, you know, I get angry too. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being. I have to remind people of this, you know, that, you know, I, I experience frustration and anger and, and and so much guilt about being so far from home and all of these things. And for me, I kind of, I feel at this point in my, my parenting journey, I'm very much about kind of reflecting with them. So not just saying that's wrong, but saying like, how would you feel if your sister did this to you? And I get them to identify the feeling and I say, well, I would feel sad. Okay, well, do you think you should be doing that right now? You know, like, let's think about this together. There are times I have to be sharp and say, don't do it because I'm not going to tolerate it. Like things like running into the parking lots. I mean, yeah. listen, oh, I'm coming. not going to be on with parents saying five times, oh gosh, listen, no. If you get knocked down, you're going to die. So I am yeah. very direct about we are in a parking lot. It is dangerous. If you get knocked down, we have to go to the hospital. If you have to go to the hospital, you have coronavirus right now. Nobody <laughs> wants that. So can you please listen because I'm not talking again. So I, that, I think I just <laughs> try my appropriate. And yes. I assess the risk the level of risk and danger if that makes and, sense yeah and do you think your work as a psychotherapist helps though i think to some extent it does um it's it's helpful but it's also harmful because then i, I beat myself up and think oh god like why did you you know like get angry so fast even though i know the compassionate side of me is like you're human you know you're going to get frustrated and i, I yeah. i'm interested to hear what the rest of you all think but i know that one thing one thing that constantly comes up for me as a parent is the feeling of loneliness like being mm. so far away from my parents because it's mm-hmm. not how i envisioned parenting if that does that make sense like you know yeah, we, grew up, we, have, totally. we have a village and i, I do mm-hmm. have a village and i, I constantly have this inner battle where I'm just like, why, <laughs> why? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, yes, Kayola. I'm sure you have because I mean, you in Missouri. I don't know how you're doing it. I mean, I feel like the rest of us we see more Caribbean people than you do. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about your loneliness if you experience any. So I don't. I don't experience any loneliness in parenting, okay. honestly. Okay. Um, okay. I've been alone. I've, I'm the only person from my immediate family that lives in the U.S. And this has oh, wow. been on 20 years, 21 years this summer. Give or take some breaks when I was in Trinidad, you know, six months here, a year there, that kind of thing. But I've, I've been on my own. And so right. adaptation to the fact that nobody's around um, outside of a romantic relationship or some specific engagement with somebody back home at some point, then there really wasn't any need. I think I just made peace with the idea that I was alone. Mm. And then help looks very different for different people. And the help that I have and the help that has worked for me is the help that I pay for Mm -hmm. and the help from strangers, because Mm. then I can communicate what I want Mm. and it's yes or no. And then all I have to deal with is finding a different solution to that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very business-like or economic approach to what I consider help for me. And I think familial um, involvement sometimes, it conflicts with some of the ideas that may be new or more progressive 
depending mm-hmm. on what side of the family or which relative it is. Mm-hmm. So there are things that Con and I have done or will continue to do that was absolutely taboo from the beginning. Because right. it's a child who's still drinking from a bottle on the road for months at a time, living in a hotel. Like, who does that? So I heard that, heard about that and mm-hmm. what he needs and what he needs. And so I had to be firm in what I knew I could give to my son and what he needed versus listen to the voices that told me because what I was doing was so different mm-hmm. that it was not something that should be done. Mm-hmm. And so that allowed me to solidify and just cement what my parenting style was going to be because... One of the things that I heard um, or I felt or I I felt I saw and observed with other people is that you had to choose one thing. You're either a mother or you're not. So there was no symbiotic living. There was nothing saying that you could be who you are and flourish as an individual and as a woman and enjoy mothering. It wasn't Mm -hmm. always um, a vantage point that showed me that you can sacrifice with joy. It was one or the other. So I made Mm -hmm. up my mind in the beginning that I was going to do it how I wanted to. Different was not really the word, but just what made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that for me to enjoy life, I had to find joy and a path that existed along with raising my child the best way that I could. Right. So when it comes to discipline, mm-hmm. um, that one is a is an up and down, I guess. <laughs> I, I Because I don't beat... It's not that mm-hmm. like he hasn't got a pow pow once in a while. He got a little fast huh? because mm-hmm. that was my reaction. But right. I have other friends who I've had the benefit of listening and looking at them parenting. And I remember before I even dreamed to have my son, a friend of mine who was just very vocal and adamant that she doesn't beat her children at the end. And I couldn't understand how then do you discipline your children? Because that's what you learn in church. You learn a prophet rod and spoil the child and, you know, all those kind of things that that is the way. What has helped me is when I think about how I speak to my son, I mm-hmm. think about it from an external point of view. If I were looking at somebody else talking to my son or interacting with him, would I be pleased with what I see? Right. Because sometimes we treat our children in a way that we want to treat them, but then we want to rip off somebody else's head if they do the same they thing. Do the same. So there are times mm-hmm. when I shout at him or I am impatient with him and I'm completely valid because that's how I feel in a moment. It's a frustrating situation. Mm-hmm. But then when I th- revisit it and I'm like, if I heard a teacher or an auntie or an uncle or a stranger talking to him that way, how would I feel? I would want to... I would want to fight. I would be squaring up with that person or having Mm -hmm. some kind of negative interaction with them about it. So that has helped me figure out how to um, get in with him in the moment. Now, my household is Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. This is a sovereign nation. So once you enter in here, I run things. I'm the prime minister. So much so that the way I speak to Connor, the things that we eat and all the things that we do, I think my entire house reflects our Caribbean culture as well as some other things. But um, I remember I take, took him to school at some point and I was doing a parent teacher, I think in kindergarten, mm-hmm. and she was talking. And of course, in my experience, the type of work that I do, I'm in board meetings all the time with, you know, people and you have to beckify an unseasoned voice a little bit right. to communicate, right? Right. And so when I'm speaking to the teacher, because again, we're in the Midwest, they're not in a place where people are used to hearing how we speak. And sometimes they get so caught up in the accent. They're not hearing you. Hearing you. Mm-hmm. They're not really listening. Mm-hmm. So I, 
you know, modified to be able to be heard. And my son was just like, why are you talking like that? Why are you talking so, mommy? You don't talk like that. And I had to pause in a moment and say, yes, but I'm speaking to, you know, miss. And Miss mm-hmm. needs to understand what I'm saying. So I, mm-hmm. I give that example because at home, we use all of the terms, you know, colloquial things and fun things or whatever, but it, it's it's who we are. And all of most of right. my friends are Trinidadians. So when we're on the phone or some mm-hmm. Caribbean person, he hears the accents all the time. So it's familiar to him. Follow? Mm-hmm. But with regard to the discipline, I still was able to benefit from seeing things that I liked or didn't like. And so parenting for me is very slow. I have to slow things down tremendously because then I have to focus less on what I'm trying to convey, but also remember what I'm trying to get him to absorb from what I'm saying. So it makes, it's frustrating. I mean, it's very frustrating for me because I just want to be like, and just rile up and do what I want to say. But oftentimes I can't do it. I just have to think about what he's capable of understanding in that moment and have those discussions with him like, why would you do that? Why does that make sense? And so what we've developed is every night we have like a debrief of the day mm-hmm. uh, where we lay, because I am still, we are still co-sleeping, unfortunately. <laughs> I have a moment of silence for my space. So at night, when we get into bed, we talk about things like what was the best thing about your day? Who were you kindest to today? What, you know, what did you like? What's your favorite color and all those things? And through those conversations, I'm able to hear sometimes that how I have disciplined him did not work because mm-hmm. he didn't even understand because I was just so angry or, you know, fussing or quarreling or trying to discipline, even if it's not physical, mm-hmm. he didn't get it. And so it helps me kind of reframe how I discuss things with him as he gets older and as he changes from year to year, I still have to keep changing. So it's slow and it's hard, but it is definitely impactful because I can see what he's learned when I hear how he deals with um, conflict at school and with right. children, and then that's how I know what's sticking and what's not sticking. So right. So we'll definitely, <laughs> we'll definitely get to that because I think that's an important point too. But Nayat, I know you had you wanted to interject. No, I was. I didn't want to interject. I was just responding mm-hmm. in my head as she was right. going. One of the things that I found interesting is that where you and I know that clearly your Caribbean heritage. Has, it has been helpful in mm-hmm. shaping you as a parent, right? I'm not saying that it's not helpful. But where you see, like, the intervention of of the, the family, the Caribbean community, as not really understanding what you need to do in the moment and how you need to move on with your life, right? And perhaps passing some judgment, which I get as well from time to time, especially from the older relatives. I find the Caribbean community gives me confidence to resist those things, those practices I've encountered here. Mm. that I find do you have an I, example that don't work so she talked about co-sleeping when my son was born they you know they you go through you read all the documents you cannot sleep on their belly they have to sleep on the back you have to take off the blanket this that the other and you're like I understand the guidance but your guidance is based on statistics right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my son cannot sleep on his back he is gargling all night he's waking up every 10 minutes he wakes up he cries he tries to sleep he stopped growing Right. Mm. And 
I went back to the, the village and I was like, where, where did I sleep on my back or my belly? And my mother was like, on your belly. I asked my uncle, his twin slept on his tummy. He's in his bed with him and his wife. And I got all this information. It's like a chat on Facebook where I talked mm -hmm. about it publicly. And my American friends were like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Crip death. Alarms, crib death. Yeah, and yeah, my yeah. friends were like, put him to sleep on his side so he don't choke on his vomit in the night. And some of them were completely ridiculous, but I got the confidence to put him on his stomach and let him get a good night's sleep. And that has worked with a lot of things that the, you know, the American medical system does not give me any guidance for. When I was pregnant, mm -hmm. don't take any herbs. We don't know what those herbs are for, Right. When you breastfeed and don't take this, and I needed the vervine. I needed vervine yeah. yes, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I said, I'm sure customs would bring back my vervine, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the pediatrician and the, and the obstetrician, well, the OBGYN and the pediatrician were like, oh no, you know, you can't. Mm -hmm. You don't know what effect it will have. We have no tests, we have no records of how this works. But mm -hmm. Trinidad and how many generations of people drinking vervine while breastfeeding gave me the confidence to drink my vervine. And yeah. so it's like, like you were saying, it's, you have to find a middle place that just suits your, your needs. And you also need to feel confident in the professionals that are, that make up your multidisciplinary team. So your OBGYN, your pediatrician, whether it's abroad or in Trinidad or in the Caribbean. Um, and because there are some pediatricians in Trinidad who believe in purely breastfeeding your child mm -hmm. and they will not support you bottle feeding, right? They're those. Yes. And then there are those that are open to both. So you as an individual, and this podcast is meant for us to have these conversations. So I don't want people coming out of this saying that, you know, oh, I'm going to try putting my child on their belly to sleep mm -hmm. because I put it in a podcast. No, the, we're going to go with what is recommended scientifically. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. We know that sleeping on your back to sleep, so sleeping on your back is recommended. recommended. That's the way that we avoid sudden infant death syndrome. Fine. However, this is an experience that Nayat has had, and it mm -hmm. actually was my experience with my son as well. Um, he didn't sleep on his stomach. He slept on his side, mm -hmm. but the back sleeping didn't work because he had acid reflux. Mm -hmm. So. And I took the choice very, I mean, I, for the first couple of nights, I didn't sleep. I was staring exactly. at him all night long because I wanted to make sure, okay, maybe this is a risk, you know? It but at risk. the same time, at the end, it made more sense for him to sleep on his stomach because he was getting sleep, which he wasn't yeah. getting before. Exactly. So do not take this as an alternative <laughs> for medical advice, okay? Right. We're just having a conversation and expressing opinions here. So, all right. So that's really comprehensive. I love that. Love, love, love. So um, now that we know where you guys are positioned in the world and we've created a little bit of context, are there any specific concerns that you have with respect to raising your child based on where you currently reside? So... I mean, if we just stick with the pattern of going to Naya first. Naya, you were in Maryland. Mm -hmm. You were in, in the States, the United mm -hmm. States of America, with a biracial child, mm -hmm. right? Um, tell me about if you have any specific concerns raising him there. Well, I think that is that is the biggest thing for me. I mean, right now, you saw him earlier. I mean, he in Trinidad, he presents as a white child. No question. Mm -hmm. If he was in Trinidad, mm -hmm. he'd be a white baby. 
he right. comes to the United States, he becomes something else, right? Right. At mm-hmm. sometimes he, you know, is in the, the off-white category, might be uh, Arabi, maybe Indian. And then mm-hmm. sometimes people just say, well, look at his mother. She's a black child, right? right. What I, my concern is having him take on that um, division, which is what my research is about, right? The way that we perceive people based on the color of their skin and the way we assume that we could presume their descent, that we mm-hmm. know where they come from and what they're made of and therefore what they might do or how they might be. Um, and I, that I think is for me the biggest concern because I want him and I'm not going to go and preempt you because there was a question that you had asked us about, about what we would want the child to know. But he is mm-hmm. his own person. His father is coming from the Balkans. I am coming from the Caribbean, right? There is, There might be versions of him, but there is no other him. Right. And some sort of racial overlay, some stratification system that someone came up with or some people believe in should not determine where he fits. And right. fighting against that is going to be particularly difficult because it is very easy to lean into the privilege of his light skin. Mm-hmm. It's very easy yeah. to encourage him in that direction, mm-hmm. to protect him from things that darker skin children have to face. It is what yeah. it is. Um, yes. And so to sort of ingrain in him an understanding that however he looks, he can be whatever he wants to be. He is a new creation. He is a unique thing. And he can define his path, I think, will be the hardest thing, especially when he begins to go to school. Right now, we have complete control over what he sees, right? Yes. We're watching Blippity or Blippity. He said some nonsense. I blocked that. I blocked that episode so fast, right? Because he heard some word that was new to him and he goes, oh, that's silly. And I was like, all right, Blippi, it's not silly. It's just different, right? It's just what you're not used to. And so... I can, you know, filter right now. Once it goes out into school, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to instill, and I'm not even sure what it is, and this is my research, right? I'm mm-hmm. not even sure how to convey how special and different and unique, and this is not just for biracial children, but all children, right? That you you cannot be any one of these things. You yeah. can be a new thing, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be my, that's my biggest fear. Um, he sees situations where when he was very little and he was born late in the year, so he wasn't getting any, so he's a very light child. I'm pushing the stroller with his dad and people would stop and talk to his dad and ignore me as if I was not there, yeah. right? I was a nanny. I was clearly the help. And he has seen this. He has seen it and he sees more and more of it as he gets older. You know, children are very observant. Mm-hmm, they are. That there's a, that something is a little off and I have to find a way to explain that to him without him taking it on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes the work, it may have been easier if he looked more like me mm-hmm. because I had to walk a road and I can now give him all my experience and say, well, this is, this has worked for me, but because he doesn't and he doesn't look like his father exactly either. We have to, we have to find a middle way for him. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Daniela in the UK, so I always think it's really interesting, right? So when I got the flock forms, I was picked mixed other. And they have this category that says like mixed black and white Caribbean. I'm not that. Oh, there's that category? Yeah, yeah. They have this, this on the mix, they have mix and they have like black and white Caribbean as well as the options. And then they have like mixed other. So I was click mixed other because I'm mixed other, you know, um, 
it is what it is. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I always think to myself, you know, how fortunate we are like, in, in Trinidad in particular to just kind of think this kind of melting pot and, and how we were raised, to be honest. And so my husband is is black, uh, but my but as we know, you know, slavery. We know we know we know our history, right? So the thing about it is that you know you might look black, but you have you never know what you have in you. That's reality, right? Yeah. Um. So you know when we I was I was so excited when when I was pregnant to see what my my little one would look like and and what that would be, and you know. Now it talks about identity. I think that's really important about how I think about my children because where we live is predominantly white. It, it does have there are people, but it's like it's kind of either you're black or you're, you're Indian or you're Chinese or you're white, and it's not like back home where it's you're very very mixed. And mm-hmm. I see a lot to explain because I have taken the with our kids to kind of be really appreciate culture and so, so for example yesterday is Chinese New Year's so mm-hmm. my dad was from China so right. even though we're not Buddhist nobody in my family is Buddhist I, or we, know, we don't celebrate in a really uh, traditional sense we still celebrated it and when it's Diwali we make you know, we make curry and roti and we light a deer you know when it's we right. talk about we, have, we read about our we have a book about Eid and I talk to my kids all the time about about their heritage, and I but I, I do it more on a cultural aspect, and I try to make sure that the books that they read and they have on their shelves, that it includes diversity because, because it's not for me. It's not that they're biracial; they're just multiracial. They're multi multi mixed, you know. And mm-hmm. so I have to, and I think it's important for me to. For them to understand that you're not just one thing you are you're more than just everything you know you are you're you like this you like that you know you, you made up of all of these things and you want to explain all that because that's that's what i think about when they go into the world and they have to fill out that form what are they going to put mm-hmm. on that form yeah. you know so i currently fill out my form that do the people with the family so it says mixed other forever that right. because you know that when they, when they see when they were their dad people are like oh they're, they're black because they have curly hair they have mixed hair mm-hmm. um and <laughs> that was important and even that i had to learn how i look at my hair i had to learn how it's a braid y'all i i am a wash and go kind of person right i had to learn how to cater over it took me a one full year every weekend oh. right oh. That's what, but it, but it's something I had to learn, and I think that's the thing about with my kids. I think about when you go to school, how are you? You need to understand the way that you are you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and I see all of that. Just I know I sound really long winded because I think that culture for me is more is a big part of my children because where we live, and I try mm-hmm. to find friends that we could, you know they could appreciate cultural differences and celebrate cultural differences as well. Yeah. And I don't, it, it, Naya talked about, you know, the skin color that's really important as well because my kids call me Peach. <laughs> right? And I'm like, mommy just had love in the sun for a really long time. Like, and it's, it's so funny how they view themselves. The little one told me that she's black brown. I was like, all right, cool. Right. You know, the, the six-year-old tells me that she, she she's brown. She's I'm I'm light brown, mommy. All right. Daddy is brown. Yeah. What mommy mommy a peach. 
I used right. to be pink, by the way, so I've gotten to peach. But <laughs> and my husband is like, just give up, the, give up, give it up. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're just peach forever. And I'm like, but I'm not peach. You know, but this is one important thing about how we're raising our children and, and how they relate to the world. Yes. And especially when you're not just black, because it, does that make sense? Because yeah. it's not one or the other. Other. So, mm-hmm. I'm so yeah. there, but I hope that. No, 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 definitely. I think you bring to the fore the fact that now there's a spectrum, not now, but there's a spectrum. And in terms of the colors that we see, I mean, I think in the older days, our parents and their generation, it was more clear cut, okay, black, white. And like, I mean, speaking to Naya's work in terms of um, identifying where someone is from, you could kind of look at them in the past and be like, oh, yeah she's an Arab or, you know, that's the Chinese person or whatever. But now everybody is so mixed that you really can't look at someone and say, "Mm." but people still try to do it, especially, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to jump in here, especially white people in the United States. Mm -hmm. They love to do Mm -hmm. the calculus of descent, right? Right. It's Mm -hmm. almost like they cannot help it. So you will see somebody who, is referred to, and I don't like the term, but clearly racially ambiguous, right? This is not, Mm -hmm. this is someone whose descendants come from different places. Their grandparents didn't all come from the same place, Mm -hmm. right? Right. That's what I mean by ambiguous. You have a mixture of something going on here. And they will still try Mm -hmm. to make sense of it. Well, you know, what what therefore are you? You must be, people ask me, what are you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, annoyed is what I am. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. right because it's not material to the conversation that we're having and so what i don't what i want to be able to do and it, it sounds very ambitious and i think all parents have these wild ambitions is to give him a shield of sorts that he that will go before him so that when he and i sound like a preaching right it sounds like church right i almost want to cover him in the blood of jesus because i want you to go out and i want you to be so confident Mm-hmm. I want you to be so clear on the fact that your culture, your skin color, your preferences, your family, they're all very different things. So you can have, you can exercise or participate in black culture without being as black as people want you to be. Mm-hmm. Or you mm-hmm. can participate in your Slavic culture without being as white as the Slavs want you to be. Mm-hmm. But you are you. And to have like a force field that mm-hmm. allows to confront this these lay theories of race that want to put him in a box because he does not belong in a box any kind of box right and so we do a lot of work one of my friends did a really good job a woman in trinidad who sounds like she might be a friend of kaiola's based on something kaiola said but we'll talk about that off (laughs) um she just did not allow her son to identify people by color Mm -hmm. until he was about 11. So now when people come with the, like, peach, he doesn't try to do math. It's just peach, Mm -hmm. right? It's just brown. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't know what my strategy will be because my situation is, of course, different. Mm -hmm. But that is what I want to sort of immunize him against, just having to go into a category. Well, 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 what a start to the season, right? I couldn't, nor did I want to stop these ladies during our recording session. However, I couldn't make this episode too long. So look out for the second part of our chat next week. 
In the meantime, I want to leave you with these two questions. Are you guilty of doing the calculus of descent? And what is your strategy for immunizing your offspring against categorization of any kind, be it skin color, race, hair type, and you know how we have categories. Anyway, that's it for now. Catch you next week. Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to the amishop.com. That's the A-M-A-I shop.com for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd be grateful if you could leave a review about what you're loving on this podcast and be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes.